A church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world following the teaching and example of elders. My name is Pastor Phil. I serve as the online campus pastor and the connections pastor right here at Sugar Grove. I'd like to welcome all of you. I'd like to welcome you who are joining us online uh, as well. We're continuing our sermon series of Rediscover Church. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tim, he took us on a journey through the essence and the purpose of the church. And today we're moving from what is a church to who can belong to the church. We're not talking about who can walk through those doors or, or who can join us online. That's not the conversation we're having because we welcome everybody. We're not talking about membership. Who can join Village Bible Church? That will be discussed on October 8th. We're talking about who can belong to the body of Christ, the church, the invisible church. Would you join me as we start today with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful. Thankful for the opportunity to, to worship you, and we pray right now in this very moment that we would honor you by allowing whatever is said, whatever scripture comes out, whatever you decide that we should hear, that we'll be open to hear it, that we won't suppress the truth that we will be welcoming to all things that are honoring to you. And that's what we pray, God. Pray that my words are not my words, but are your words. Bless our time. Transform us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In 2010, my wife Sherry and I, we started uh, a process that was going to transform our families. It was a process called adoption. We weren't exactly sure where we wanted to adopt from. We didn't know if we should adopt domestically, that means here in the United States, or internationally. After much prayer, research, we decided Ethiopia was going to be the country that we were going to adopt from. On November 28, 2010, we received this picture right here of a young boy named Abine. We affectionately call him Reggie. We fell in love with Reggie right away. Man, we loved him so much. Had never met him, and yet we loved him so much. We eventually flew to Ethiopia after filling out paperwork, met him for the first time, had to leave him and Jacob. We were adopting two boys at the same time in Ethiopia, waiting for paperwork to happen. And then on May 3rd, 2010, we went to the United States Embassy in Ethiopia, and that's where, on Reggie's third birthday, that's where we were 
told that they officially can come to the United States. We flew home, we came home, and it was one big happy family. But Reggie was hurting. He was sick. Much like many kids adopted from different countries, Ethiopia being one of them, he was very malnourished. After going through multiple tests, we found out that Reggie was infested with parasites. He was being eaten from the inside out. He couldn't keep any food down when he was willing to eat. They sent off all the tests to Indianapolis where some specialists reviewed it and concocted these pills that this three-year-old needed to take, horse pill style, that a three-year-old boy was supposed to take multiple times a day. Well, that wasn't going to work. We were out of options, so the doctor decided to take a tube and, and tuck the tube up in his nose, down through his throat, into his stomach, so then we could feed him the medicine through the tube, and we did that multiple times a day for 10 days. It was difficult. We knew Reggie needed it, though. It was his path to healing. At the end of 10 days, we... I slowly peeled that thing out of his out of his nose. That was gross. But Reggie began to thrive. He became almost like a new person. He was smiling and laughing and jumping around, already loving Spider-Man. We had Reggie. Why do I share this story? I share it because it serves as a powerful metaphor for what we're diving into today. Today, It's the transformative healing power of belonging to God's family. Of belonging to God's family. Just as Reggie himself, he couldn't heal himself. We can't save ourselves. We were chosen for adoption by God, much like Sherry and I intentionally chose Reggie for adoption. The decision to bring Reggie in our home, it wasn't random. It was intentional, and there was a lot of love behind it. In the same vein, the Bible tells us that God chose us before even the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4. Before the foundation of the world, he chose Philip Chapman to becoming a follower of his that's amazing for me to think about. That should put you in awe. Friends, we're engaged in a spiritual battle just in regular life. In regular life. We're just like Reggie. We, we need someone to intervene on our behalf. We need a loving Heavenly Father that not only chooses us, but offers us a new abundant life so that we can thrive. So we can thrive. So to help us understand this process, we're going to go, we're going to work through the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Our first point today, we're going to get right to it. Our first point is that there is a grim reality. A grim reality. We got bad news, friends. 
bad news. You came to church to hear some bad news. First three verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Who's Paul talking to? Who is his audience? It's always important to understand that when you're studying God's word. Who's the audience? It's Christians. He's talking to Christians, and he's talking to you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and he's saying, you know what? I want you to remember who you used to be. This was you before. Really, these verses serve kind of dual purpose. For believers, it's, hey, remember who you were for people who don't follow Jesus, people who I, I call non-believers, people who haven't committed their life to Jesus Christ, it's saying, hey, this is super bad news. But there's going to be some hope here in a second. There's some hope for redemption. We've got to understand that with this grim reality, with this bad news, there is good news. And you know, it's really a tough pill to swallow. Just like Reggie. Reggie had these parasites living inside him, and without medical intervention, he probably would not have survived. In the same manner, recognizing our spiritual condition is absolutely vital for us to understand. Acknowledging what we need. We need God. It's vital for us to understand our condition so we can understand what that glorious future with God is all about digging into these verses we see Paul speaks directly and candidly about our spiritual condition he says that we were dead in our sins dead not physically dead but spiritually dead dead man walking Romans 6 23 says for the wages of sin that means here's what you get paid this is what you earn if you sin, this is your wage, if you sin, if you sin one time, if you're a jerk to that kid at school, this is what you get. If you, if you looked at that, that video with, with intentionality, this is what you get. If you were angry, not righteously, this is what you get. What do you get? Death. For the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve ate fruit one time. What do they get? Death. You no longer get to enjoy all that God has for you, all that you were designed for. You sinned. Now you deserve death told you this is bad news this is grim reality for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior we, we got to just remember where we were at what we were doing in our lives maybe some of you maybe some of you here maybe you know Jesus Christ you've called him your Savior you're not living like it 
You forgot that the old is dead and that God has created you new. Apostle John makes it clear. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If you do, God's love isn't in you. Some of us really dig into things in this world that we love so much, and that becomes everything in our life. We see that a lot with sports. We see that a lot with family. I know a lot of moms and dads who are struggling in their marriage because it's all about their kids. Some of you may do it with alcohol. TV, all kinds of things that you say of this world, oh, I love this world so much. What does it say? God's love isn't in you. If you're embracing this world, we gotta remember, only one life soon will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. Everything else is gone. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, understand that what I'm explaining right now in these verses is explaining your present day experience. You do not have hope. You have no hope. You're dead. I'm not saying this. This is what the Bible says. You're dead. But there is hope. We'll talk about that in a minute. There's another layer described in Ephesians 2. We're not just making poor decisions, but we're being driven by the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself which aligns perfectly with what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8. He said, you are of the father, the devil, and you want to do what he tells you to do. He's warning the Pharisees, hey, you think you're doing all this good stuff? We talked all about Paul. Saul, he thought he was doing all these great things for God. Really, you're just serving the devil. All these things you're doing, the things you're giving to the people, your neighbors, you even come into church. You're coming to church to check it off. Went to church, now where's the Bears game? Let's get to that. Ah, do I have to go to Sunday night church too? Ah. What, I, I'm supposed to give to the church? That's what they're saying up there? I'm supposed to read the Bible? You see, all those stuff starts making you feel a little uncomfortable. Ephesians 2, 3, Paul tells us that we were by nature children of wrath. You know what that phrase means, children of wrath? It means that you're pointing to a path that leads to divine judgment and separation. That means if you stay on that path, listen to me carefully, if you stay on that path, there is separation. There is no hope for connection. You have no hope Obviously, this sounds discouraging. But we can't lose hope. There is hope. That's why the church exists. That's why God, Jesus, ignited the church age. That's why God has you here today, maybe, to hear this message. It's this incredible power of God's redemptive love. And it's available for you right now. Right this very second. 
That's why belonging to the church matters so much. That's why we're spending so much energy on this. It's not just a community. It's a fellowship underpinned by God's transformative love and his amazing grace. That's what being part of the body of Christ is all about. And this understanding naturally guides us to our next point, which is redeeming love. Redeeming love. Now, at the beginning of Ephesians 2 paints a, a bleak picture. These next words start being that sunrise that we sang about a little bit earlier. The sunrise break in the darkness. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God... Two simple words, yet they should drive. They, they, we have to understand they change everything. We were lost, but God found us. We were without hope, but God gave us an entire future. But God. It has nothing to do with us, but God. We're not just given this life. We're made alive together in Christ. Alive together in Christ. I'm crucified with crosses. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, there's the I live, it's because of Jesus. We get to live with Christ. It's not just about being saved from something, being saved, being converted, being adopted, being born again. It's not just about being saved from something. It's being saved for something. God wants us to live a life full of purpose and love. That's a conversation my wife and I have all the time. What, what are we actually doing? What's our purpose? How are we serving God this way? And it's all being funneled through our view of what, what is the Bible teaching us? My friend Aaron Wagner is here, and, and, and we're going to be teaching a class on apologetics. That, that's the whole point of it, is how are we sifting everything through what Jesus wants us to through his word? How is that just our regular life? How is that just what we do in our regular life? In the Bible, there's a clear message that God took the first step towards us. It wasn't us. The Apostle John tells us that God showed his love by sending his son Jesus to offer us his life, offer us forgiveness. It's not about how much we love God. Let me say that one more time in case you weren't listening. It's not about how much we love God. Think about it as a parent. Many of you are parents Many times your kids probably don't love you too much. But it's amazing how parents just love you no matter what. Infinitely more than that. It's about how much God loves us. It's not about how much we love God. It's about how much God loves us. If you're wondering whether God loves you, whether you're worthy of love, whether you're beyond redemption, because some people think that Pastor Phil, you don't know what I've done. 
You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what's in my closet. You don't know what I've been struggling with for years and years. You know what I say? You know what the Bible says? But God. But God. That's where you get the divine interruption in your life. Man, I'm going this direction. Everything's going great. I'm, I'm kind of doing whatever I want to do. But God, look at Paul. He's loving life. He's going down. He's, I'm going to Damascus. I'm going to get those people following the way. But God. I hope I'm not just preaching to people who don't follow Jesus. I'm preaching to people who love Jesus for a long time. Because we need to wake up as well. But God has to be the theme in our heart. So we're, we're running to a different direction. Okay, God, you want me there? Okay, I'll do that. That doesn't make sense. There's another phrase that puts us in awe. At the end, it says, by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. What does that mean? You see, grace is God's unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve anything. Romans 5, 8, it affirms it. It says, but God, and there it is again, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's phenomenal. Titus 3, 5 says, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Why? What? That doesn't make sense. That's God. So remember this. God's love is greater than our failings. God's love is greater than our doubts. God's love is greater than any force that seeks to hold us down. I go right back to those sins that you're, you're going crazy with right now in your life. I don't know what they are. You know what they are, though. You and God do. Your spouse might not even know. Something may be holding you down. You need to get rid of it. But you can't get rid of it. But God can. So whether you've known God for years and you're hearing this message for the, or you're hearing this message for the first time, understand that there is a redeeming love. There is a, a power that God offers through his grace. And it's available to every single person here. Every person. And this incredible grace doesn't just rescue us. It doesn't just make us alive. It puts us in a, an ascended position. It elevates us. Man, that's, that's amazing to think about. Verses six through seven. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let that sink in. Raised us up with him? What? So the other day, I think I've told you this before, we put the four girls to bed. Usually Sherry or myself will go up there and get them 
to sleep in a sense. I'm laying with Gigi. She's our eight-year-old, recently adopted eight-year-old. Four girls in there, two sets of bunk beds. She's on the bottom right. I'm snuggled in with her. Everybody else is asleep except for Jamima, who's a fourth grader. She's on the top left. And Gigi says to me, out of the blue, hey, Dad, are we rich? No, are you rich, she asked. I smiled and I said, yes, I am rich. Compared to the world, honey, I am rich. But so are you. Gigi, the wise one she is, shouts up to Jamima. Hey, Jamima, I'm rich. Now, many of you probably don't know Jamima, but she's the one who has a little bit of sass in her. She shouts down to Gigi, You don't have a dime to your name, Gigi. And that's when I said, Girls, Jamima, you and Gigi are both rich because you're my daughters and all that I have is yours. It's all yours. That's exactly the same thing. You see, when we are elevated and seated in heavenly places with Christ, we inherit an immeasurable riches of God's grace. We are, in essence, spiritually rich. All that God has is ours because we're his children. It's captured very well in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Imagine a creator of all things saying to you, you belong here. You belong with me. That's the message I'm telling you. You don't have to do anything with your identity. You don't have to do anything uh, with your uh, certain type of clothes that you're wearing. You don't have to, you don't have to try to uh, woo God. You don't have to do anything. God is saying, you belong with me. That's what you were designed for. We're made in the image of God. And God wants you to come to him. Now, you may be wondering what in the world does being seated in heavenly places mean? It's not a metaphor. It's actually a spiritual reality. You see, when, you, when you're adopted by Jesus Christ, when you're born again in God's family, your position shifts. You go from spiritual poverty, having nothing, to spiritual richness. You go from separation, where there's zero hope, to absolute connection, relationship. I don't want to gloss over this too much because 
this concept can be challenging. You see, because in earthly terms, elevation, when we elevate ourselves, because that's what I'm telling you, if you love Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're elevated. In our world, that usually follows through with pride. Follows through with, with, with a sense of entitlement. Oh, welcome to the club. That's the opposite of what being a Christian is all about. In fact, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, your position, your elevated position, actually causes you greater humility and a sense of service. For those of you who don't know Jesus, this is an invitation that's wide open for you. It's not an exclusive club. You want to see an exclusive club? Consider this place. This is Medina Country Club. It's about 30 to 40 minutes from where we're seated right now. If you're at home online, I don't know how far it is. You know how you become a member there? You have to be invited. I don't even know by who. And then it's rumored the initiation fee, the, the initial fee to get into the club after you've been invited, $85,000. And then if you're a senior member, $1,000 a month. Now, if you're a member there, you want to talk afterwards, we can talk about it. You see, people who belong to a club like that, it's pretty elite group, right? It's pretty elite. There's not many people who get to be in that club. But it's only elite club from an earthly vantage point. You see, the stunning difference is that the kingdom of God is wide open for all people. There's no prohibitive fee no exclusive invitation needed. I'm giving you the invite right now, but it doesn't have to come from me. It could come from anybody. You can allow the Holy Spirit just to do that work. And maybe he already has. Maybe, maybe even right now you've already been adopted while you're at this service. God's riches are freely given to all who believe. Have you ever seen that like American Express card? That It's a black card, I think. I don't know. I don't have it. And it's got unlimited. That's what, we, that's what I have. I don't have my wallet with me, but I, I have in there. I pull that out. Ching, ching, ching. I, it never runs out. It's always paid for, too. And it's got all, everything that I could give away, spiritual stuff. Okay, here, there, there, there. And it never runs out. Because that's what we're given. We're given an unlimited supply of spiritual riches. While this is absolutely a wonderful truth, it can be very challenging because seated in the heavenly places, it doesn't mean that we sit back and relax. It actually should mean that we take on this challenge and we move forward. It, it, there's spiritual warfare that actually happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew that we are to take up our cross 
every single day and follow Jesus knowing that it could cost us everything. It could cost you, your whole family can hate you, your friends. I remember at one point in my life, I, I had to give up multiple friends because I was trying to learn how to walk with Jesus in an honoring way. And my friends were taking me to the wrong places in my heart and in my mind. That was the toughest thing I've ever had to do. We're called to be ambassadors. Second Corinthians 5 tells us, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors. We're into this world serving God as his ambassadors. So don't let this in incredible gift that God has given you lull you to a spiritual complacency. Just embrace it. Okay. All right. I've got to start doing life a little bit different. I've got to start, stop trying to only make money. I've got to have a different angle at life. And you know what? I, who cares about what I want? Okay, God, what do you want? That's hard to do, friends, to humble yourself and say, okay, I'm done doing this. I'm done chasing this. I'm done going after this. I have to just stop and say, what do you want? 1 Peter 2 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. We're not only been chosen, we've been elevated. In Christ, we're, we're welcomed into a brand new family, a, a, a holy nation. This is where we belong. We're seated with him in the heavenly places. Yet let's not forget that this elevation, that this richness in Christ, this immeasurable gift, it comes at a price that you don't have to pay. That you don't have to pay. It's a price we don't have to pay, but it's a price that was paid for us. Our next point, costly gift. Costly gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's no initiation fee, no monthly dues, no exclusive invitations. God is inviting everyone because Jesus paid it all in advance. In advance. It's a gift that cost him everything. And it's freely given to you. In the economy of God, his grace is, is beyond anything we could imagine. You see, sometimes we don't take a breath for a second and think about this. We don't think about the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. It was a costly gift. You see, once you start understanding the actual cost of something, you, you, you start understanding the value of it. 
then your life kind of changes a little bit how you're treating it. Let me explain it in a different way. Think about the, think about the, the most expensive gift you've ever received in your life. Now, I've never got a car with a big bow on it. Maybe you got a big, huge gift. and Well, let me put it this way. In 1984, I received this gift. It's an Apple IIc computer. Man, we had no idea what to do with this computer. My brothers and I looked at it. Okay. But then we found out it cost $1,295. All of a sudden, this computer became a little treasure. And we started treating it different. And we, we, we weren't rough with it. We made sure it was on the shelf nicely. In today's dollars, that's $3,800. My parents spent a lot of money on it. We started valuing it so much more, and we lived differently because of it. Now, there's a parallel here. Like this computer, the gospel is a gift that is profoundly more special, profoundly more expensive than an Apple IIc computer. How are we treating it? How are we treating this beautiful gift? 1 Peter 1 says, you were ransomed. You're, you're, you're caught with, with the devil. You're, you're stuck with him. You're, you're doing his bidding. You're doing his ways. You're running his way. You're in a ransom. And, and, and God paid a ransom, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Salvation is free to us, but it cost God everything when he, had a, he couldn't spare his son. That should only ignite a, a sense of profound gratitude from each of us. It should call us to action. Now, now, especially for those who are contemplating right now, maybe the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart and you don't know Jesus yet. I'm going to keep coming back to you. Let me, let me bring Reggie's story back up. You see, Reggie still had parasites in him when we adopted him, when his adoption was sealed, he still had a lot of bad things going on. He didn't have to be perfect to come into our family. Same way you don't have to be perfect. You can't be. Come to God's family. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart Stop fighting. Stop suppressing the truth. And come to his family and allow that healing process to start working from the inside out. We're still nurturing that relationship with Reggie today. He's back there ushering with us. That's what God will do with you. He'll just keep nurturing you, keep strengthening you. Except in Jesus' into your life, it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. 
Allow him to, to strengthen you. Allow his grace to overwhelm you. So the question is not whether the gift is available to you. It is. The question is, will you accept it? Will you live in a way that honors the high price paid for your freedom? And that's why as followers of Jesus Christ, we're empowered for service. We're empowered for service. You see, the gospel isn't just about what Jesus has done for us. It's about what he wants to do through us. It's how he wants to use us. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and that we should walk in them. You see, our elevated position, the gift that we have been given, it's not for our own benefit. We've been given a mandate to serve God, to worship him daily. That's why we're to take up our cross every single day. That's why we're to welcome, hey, persecution, bring it on. Whatever you want, God, bring it on. I want to follow you. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, too heavenly minded to be in any earthly good. That's not what the Christian spirit is. The Bible teaches us that Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and we should emulate that. We aren't just saved from something. I said this earlier. We're not saved from something. We're saved for something. We're saved to be, the God, to be God's hands and feet right here in this world. The costly gift of God's grace should empower us. It should empower each one of us. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As we come to the end of this message, I want to share a fictional story with you. It's fictional. It's pretend. I made it up. But I think it's going to help us to understand a little bit more about the amazing grace that God offers us. Imagine two individuals go to heaven and they're at the pearly gates and there's a gatekeeper this is fictional and the gatekeeper says alright alright uh, let me have you come on up here why should I let you into these gates well the man says to him well I revolutionized the world of technology I, I, I donated 35.8 billion dollars into global health I, I gave 15.3 billion dollars into US education and, and I, I, I pushed 10 billion dollars into climate change initiatives I saved millions of lives who are going to die from malaria I've done everything I could to, to make a huge impact on this world The gatekeeper looked at him and said, I'm so sorry, sir. That just wasn't enough. Next, please. He calls up the next guy and he's barely even walking up here. He says, sir, why should you come into the gate 
into heaven. I, I don't know. I shouldn't. I've been a criminal my entire life. I had this whole plan. I, I, I had all these people involved and I, I was doing all this stuff because it got really big. But then I got caught stealing. I went to the trial and I got sentenced. And at my sentence, there was two other guys getting their penalty as well. And I don't know. I was really angry, God. I was really angry at, at both of these guys. And something happened. I don't even know. Something happened in my heart. I, I just started feeling bad for, for that, that, that one guy. And, and, and then, so I don't even know why, but I said, Will you remember me when you die? I don't even know why I said that. The gatekeeper goes, wait a minute. Who? Who'd you ask, will you remember me? He goes, I don't know his name. I don't even know his name. Oh, but he was the guy on the middle cross. <laughs> and he said to me, Today you'll be with me in paradise. So, I, I don't know. The gatekeeper said, Welcome. We've been expecting you. You see, God's grace is not about I. I did this. I did that. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God. It's all him. It's all his grace, all his work. So as we close today, we're going to be singing about God's amazing grace. And unlike normal, where you stand and sing with the worship team, we're going to start off by you sitting. You at home, just sit there, close your eyes, contemplate these words, understand the amazing grace because this message, it definitely is for believers, people who are trusting Jesus Christ. You need to change things that are going on in your life probably, like me. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know who Jesus is, you don't know, understand about his amazing grace, today is the day. 